Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Tuesday, November 19th, the day that the Canucks get set to take on the Dallas Stars in Dallas, the first of six in a row on the road to close out the month of November. It's a tight turnaround from my last episode, came out late last night, talking about uh, the fallout from the Colorado game on Saturday, teeing up a little bit of uh, tonight's action as well. So if you're looking for a game preview and, and that sort of thing, unpacking what happened and what might happen later tonight. Go back, listen to, uh, quote-unquote, yesterday's episode, which came out a little after midnight last night. Right now, however, you got a treat ahead of you. I really enjoyed myself over the course of this conversation. This is a bright kid with a bright future. David Quadrelli is my guest today on Locked On Canucks, and it's a long chat, so let's get right to it. Joined now on Locked On Canucks by uh, a gentleman who's had a streak of good luck luck lately. He was the inaugural selection in the Botchford Project, a media mentorship program launched by the Canucks in association with the Athletic and friends and family of the late Jason Botchford. He's also joined Canucks Army this week as well as David Quadrelli. And David, uh, welcome to Locked on Canucks. Thank you for doing this, man. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, your article has dropped on Canucks.com. People can go find it there. Uh, it came out yesterday. It is about Quinn Hughes and the early impact that he has made on this Canucks team. Before we get into the entire circumstances of uh, the Botchford Project and what the the whole night was like for you, you know, you're a writer. You write regularly for the Canuck way, and that's what's landed you at Canucks Army now as well. What about this exact topic jumped out at you as the thing you had to touch on for this article? Yeah, for sure. So during the summer, I was uh, really high on Hughes. And I was, <laughs> it was funny, I was writing, um, I wrote a few articles about him during the summer. And people were the whole summer telling me not to, uh, not to overhype him or anything. And I put out a tweet about it. I was just like, okay, first people say not to overhype Besser. Then they say not to overhype Pedersen. Now they're saying the same thing about Hughes. I've always been pretty confident in Quinn Hughes' abilities, um, just from watching him in Michigan, just any tape I've seen of him, and those five games at the end of last season. I was really high on Hughes, and I've been really impressed with him this, this year. And I was thinking he would have a similar impact to Elias Pettersson, and sure enough, as I pointed out in the article and everything I did there, uh, he has had a similar impact. And um, yeah, it, it was just something I feel like needed to be touched on, and it was, um, yeah, I'm, I really like doing, like, features and editorials and all that sort of stuff. That's, like, kind of my forte. So that just kind of jumped out at me and was the one that I really, really felt like needed to be told. Well, David, uh, I was one of those voices who on the radio over the course of, of the summer and going back to, you know, when he was coming into the lineup at the end of last year was saying exactly the, the thing that you're criticizing, which is don't get your hopes too high, because I think people were expecting Quinn Hughes to come into this season and be the guy that Kale McCarr is for the Colorado Avalanche right now. And don't get me wrong, Hughes has had a, a very significant impact on this team and is a great player to have, but there's clearly a, a gap between those two defensemen right now. And, and I did feel like people were expecting him to come out and be a clear cut rookie of the year, just like Pedersen has been, which when you look at Makar, you know, he's not that clear cut rookie of the year. He's still very, very good, however. Uh, so I would ask you to uh, outline exactly why you think he he's exactly what you thought he was going to be. 
yeah, his his defensive abilities have actually surprised me a lot, and it was um, it was actually pretty funny because my my whole my whole thing during the summer was um, a lot of people, maybe yourself included, were looking at his defensive deficiencies and just saying, okay, well, he put up these points at the end of the year, he's going to be able to put up points, that's fine, but his defensive abilities aren't quite there, and I was even one of those people that agreed with that. Like I, I wasn't expecting him to come in and play solid defense. But it was actually during when I was talking to Chris Tanev about it, I was, uh, I was, I asked him, I was like, do you think part of what's made you guys such a good pair is uh, your your defensive abilities paired with Quinn's offensive abilities? And he kind of stopped me and he was just like, you know, I, I really don't think people give enough credit to uh, Quinn's defensive abilities. He's a very good defender. He's a 200-foot player. And yeah, Tanev took most of that time to tell me about how good Quinn Hughes is at defense. But uh, yeah, in terms of in terms of everything else, like why I think he's so good, is that point production at the start of the year. His first 10 games, he had put up a lot of points, but then it kind of tailed off a bit. But I think when it tailed off, he was starting to do everything else better. So I think it's all part of a learning curve and kind of just becoming a becoming an everyday defenseman in the NHL and learning about everything he, he needs to do to be successful. Got two points in Colorado, the game I was at, for the Watford Project. Um Two pretty nice, pretty nice assists. One was a secondary assist, but that pass to Edler on the one where Matt Calvert, rightfully so, like unfortunately, was down on the ice. So can't gloat about that one too much. But uh, yeah, no, Quinn Hughes has just really impressed me this year. And I mean, we've seen what the power play looks like without him. So the impact that he's had on this team is measurable because you know the two games that they were without him. It, all the puck movements just seem to vanish as if these guys forgot how to open up space on a power play. So I feel you on that. You do outline in the piece some of the, the categories in which he is you know, right near the top, if not the very top of the league. When you did the statistical dive to find that stuff out, how surprising was that to you? It was very surprising to he- hear that he was first. I don't remember when he was first. It was either possession or end-to-end rushes. It's o- offensive zone possession. He's first in the league. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Just yes, quoting yourself was... back to you right now. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, that was incredible to find out because you just think of the people that are around the league. And it's just crazy to think that this rookie, rookie defenseman, is first in that. And he's controlling the play that much for the Canucks who usually they tended to not have that kind of defense for the past however many years you want to say, but it's been, a, it's been a while since they've had a defenseman who can really control the offensive zone like that. And I was talking to uh, one of our contributors at the Canuck Way, and we were just kind of, uh, kind of daydreaming, I guess, and just thinking about what would happen if Quinn Hughes was put on a power play unit that featured Henrik and Daniel Sedin, and just how exhausting would that be for penalty killers? I mean, he he fits right in on that cycle, basically. All he wants to do is keep the puck moving and, and be a rover around the offensive zone, especially on the power play. My goodness, uh, he <laughs> seems like tailor-made for them. And that's kind of the tragedy of the Twins deciding to retire when they retired. Obviously, there's a roster logjam on this team up front right now anyways. But, you know, you look at when Pedersen came in and when Hughes came in and... and Oh man, and the guys that the 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 Sedins got stuck playing with at the tail end of their careers as well. It's just you wish the timing could have lined up just a little bit better. And it's not just us wishing that. I think Thomas Gradine famously wished that Pedersen had gotten to play with the Twins in their last season as well. 
Oh, for sure. That would have been good for Patterson. It would have been good for the Twins. It would have been good for the fans. Like, it was just, yeah, it, you understand now why uh, why the fans were all chanting one more year at the Twins' final home game. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not one of those people, though, who was all that worried about Hughes' defensive deficiencies. I think the number one thing that you need as a defenseman in the modern game is speed. And Quinn Hughes is possibly the fastest skater that the Canucks have ever had uh, in the history of this team on the back end. You know, I feel like the his, his defensive strengths were kind of completely outlined in that first game of the season against the Edmonton Oilers, because yes, did he get blown off the puck? I think it was Leon Dreisaitl who, uh, you know, he tried to, to take the puck away by working the body and he just got shrugged off and the Oilers oh, yeah. went on to score. But then later in that game, you have him being the only player in on the ice and, you know, on the roster and maybe in the league, short of perhaps Kale McCarr, who could keep up step for step with Connor McDavid on a fast break and, in fact, nearly lifted McDavid's stick and poked the puck away from him. The only reason McDavid got the goal that won the Oilers that game is because just a miraculous one-in-a-million bounce landed the puck that Hughes was able to get a piece of right back on McDavid's stick. So when you see a guy with speed like that, I think you're absolutely correct that he's got all the tools to be uh, you know, A-tier defensively. It's not just an offensive game that he's bringing to the table. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's just the thing, right? Is it's just how good is this kid gonna get? And like like I was saying, just the his points may have gone down since his first ten games, but he's learning everything else at the same time. And just to see him evolve, even though his points aren't where where they were in the first ten, it's just it's just exciting to see and exciting to think about what could happen here. Yeah, there's nights uh, so far throughout the season where Hughes might only play 15, 16 minutes, but there are plenty of other games as well where he's up in the 23, 24-minute range. And honestly, you know, it's been a talking point on this podcast for the last several weeks. It's been a talking point, I think, in the Vancouver media as a whole. Alex Edler is playing too much. You cannot be relying on a guy who's 33 years old and in the tail end of his career to be playing 25, 26, sometimes 27 minutes a night. The only person really that can make up the ground I mean yes clearly the Canucks can play their third pairing a little bit more even if they did not have the best night against Dallas last week but like Hughes is that guy if you want to spread that ice around a little further and and it just goes to show as well Travis Green fully has complete trust in this guy as a defensive player you're not playing 24 minutes a night in the NHL for a coach like Travis Green if you don't have that trust on the back end yeah, exactly, and I think it's just, it just shows with his offensive zone starts compared to his um, his offensive zone and defensive zone starts compared to last year, those last five games. Like, Travis Green was putting him in very favorable situations last year because he wanted to have him build up that confidence. He wanted him to succeed in situations that he could be successful in. And for the most part, those are offensive situations. But this season, he's faced some tough competition, and Travis Green has full trust in this young defender and yeah, it's really great to see. But then, like you said, at the same time, Alex Edler playing as much as he is, it's close to 30 minutes a night. It's very, very tough on him. And you can kind of tell, well, at least I think I've seen, he's been tired lately and he's made some just mental, had some mental lapses and just, yeah, just he hasn't looked right. But I think that's just a side effect of playing as much as he has. 
Bang on correct. Uh, let's talk about the process of writing this article and, and being selected uh, as part of the Botchford Project. First of all, what kind of relationship did you have uh, with Jason while he was uh, still with us? So Jason and I, whenever we interacted, it was just on Twitter. I made the Provies like once and it was the best night of my life. But uh, that was more so when I was just just a fan and I wasn't really covering the team or I didn't really take advantage of him uh, wanting to help young writers when I at the time because, like I like I said, I just started in December um, covering this team, and uh, yeah, I never never really took advantage of it. I totally regret not doing that. Um, so I I reached out to JPAT when he opened up the 10:40 podcast, and uh, that was I reached out to him very shortly after after Botch passed away because I was like, okay, I'm not going to miss my opportunity here, like. I want I want advice like I didn't even I didn't really know that that Botch even did that and helped out young writers as much as as much as he did. Um so yeah, I got the help from JPAT which was amazing and uh yeah, built that relationship with him and then yeah, I've had like I've had good mentors since I started like Rick Dollywall uh talked to me on the phone like maybe a week after I started writing because I was I just felt lost so I wanted to get some advice and yeah, he was great for that. Um but yeah, it was with with Botch in particular. It was more so just like interacting on Twitter. Yeah, I, no no need to beat yourself up for not reaching out. It's you know one of the most uh, intimidating things in the world trying to uh, ask for advice from someone that you greatly admire. But uh, good on you for for doing it with with other people since then. What kind of advice did uh, did Jeff have for you when you when you talked to him? So Jeff told me to stop writing like a fan. And uh, that was that was uh, that was a bit of a wake up call, but it was it was it was good to hear, um, because yeah, like I said, I reached out to him in May, and uh, I was promoted to the um, co site editor role at the Canuck Way in February. So I had started writing basically full time. I was writing every day almost, and uh, yeah, is this is something that I'm pretty dedicated to, and I fully intend to do this for the rest of my life. Um, and Jeff knew that. So he told me I had to stop writing like a fan. And uh, yeah, it, it works because the Canuck Way is a fan site and it's like their whole mantra is like for fans, by fans. So I've definitely shed some of the tendencies. Like you, you won't see as much fanboy stuff in my writing anymore, but sometimes there's just some moments where, uh, where it really comes out of me. And it's, it's, it's weird because it's changed the way that I've kind of watched hockey and observed the team. Like, I was never much of a cheerer. One thing I would never do, holy cow, if I was at a Canucks game and the random person beside me tried to high-five me after a goal, I was just like, buddy, I don't want to high-five you. Like, it's, it's okay, we didn't do anything. We're just watching the game here. But, uh, yeah, it's just kind of changed the way I watch the game. And, yeah, J-Pat's advice was to try to become more of an observer because um, it'll help my work rather than a fan. Uh, you did tweet though on Saturday night that the most difficult part of uh, of working that game was not being able to cheer in the press box, which is, I know, probably a bit of a joke on your part. But also, you did get to go to one of the most exciting games of the season. These are two teams who delivered an absolute classic last November, and it took a while to get going, but the sequel did kind of live up to the hype a little bit on some level. It must have been a, a thrill to watch that, I'm sure. Well, yeah. So I, I'll take you through that that whole that whole process. Um, just from game time, I'll go. I'll tell you about the other stuff later. But uh, so basically, what happened was uh, it it was me sitting in Bosch's seat, uh, sixty five, and then Jay Pat was in the 
a huge thrill unto itself, I would imagine, for someone like you who looked up to him the way I think a lot oh, of us yeah. did. Yeah, I'll I'll touch on that later. But when I like walked in with Drance, we we got there really early. There's a whole story to this, but uh, yeah, it was it was a pretty surreal moment. But what I was what I was saying was I was sitting next to J Pat, and then on his right was Cat Botchford. Um, she was sitting in press row with us, um, and you know, like I we had dinner uh, with her and Canucks PR right before. Um, so I got to know her a bit, and we. We talked quite a bit, and of course, I like thanked her for picking me and everything. And she was telling me like what she saw in me, which was again really, really cool to hear. Um, and yeah, like I was offering my condolences and everything because it's still so recent. Just yeah, just how strong she's been through it all. I was just telling her basically how much I admired everything she did from the Commodore to everything else. But um, yeah, so what was happening was she was sitting up there, and uh, it was it was definitely. Definitely not easy to not cheer when they scored the tying goal. But for most of the second period, I had kind of moved away from my computer and sat on the other side of Cat, and I was talking to her for most of the second period. Um, if I'm being honest, and I, I was, of course, I was watching the game, but I, w- I didn't do a game story, so I wasn't really on Twitter or anything. I just basically took the opportunity to really like talk to Cat, and we just we had a good conversation. But then it was in the third period when the Canucks tied it up. Um, that's when I started to really get interested and I was like, whoa, they might make a comeback here. And, uh, yeah, I did a pretty good job of not cheering, but it was after that, that Hughes goal, when I knew I was writing a story about Hughes, um, the one he passed to Edler, that was just, it was really hard for me to keep it in. Cause I was one excited for my story and two, I was just excited that the Canucks were maybe making a comeback there. And it, there's something poetic, I think, about uh, the fact that it was the kind of game that it was. Obviously, they don't get the win, but it was, you know, about as good as it gets from an entertainment value perspective. Uh, I think it, there would have been, you know, something not quite right, maybe, if if the inaugural Botchford night uh, in the press box, anyways, was a dud like for example maybe the sunday game against the new jersey devils right like you got a game that lived up to the moment off the ice as well yeah for sure it was it was wonderful and yeah i think i don't i think it was kevin woodley that made the joke uh he said that exact same thing to me he's like he's like hey you're lucky you didn't come to a new jersey game and i was like <laughs> yeah you're right like new jersey and the canucks man i don't know what it is they're not worth the price of admission no, they are not. So when did you decide that that was going to be your angle, that you wanted to write about Quinn Hughes? Like, from the moment that you were announced as the, the first recipient of, uh, of you know, being able to come up into the press box, the, the inaugural uh, fellow, I guess, in, in the Botchford Project is probably the best way to put it. Uh, when did you decide that Hughes was going to be your angle? How, how, did, how did that process go? Yeah, for sure. So we had to do an application for the Botchford Project, and uh, in that application was write about why you should be picked, and then the second part was should you be picked, uh, what's your, what article would you like to write? And I wrote about, uh, I, I wrote that I would, would like to do a feature on Quinn Hughes, and a big inspiration for it was, and I t- again, I told this to Kat the other night, um, a big inspiration for it was Jason Botchford's article on Elias Pedersen changing everything in Vancouver. That was the day I bought a subscription to The Athletic was because everybody was saying how good this article was and how long he had been working on it. I had heard it on the podcast that he was working on it. And I was like, okay, I need to, I, I really, really need to read this article. And it was it, honestly, if I'm being honest, it was one of the best articles I think I've ever read. Um, and it was just, 
that that was like a moment where I was like, wow, this is this is insane. I just I that that was where I fell in love with writing features, if I'm being honest. Um, and again, like I, I really, really like to write features, like whether that be in the BCHL for the Coquitlam Express, which is the team I cover in the BCHL. Um, yeah, features are features are something I really, really enjoy doing. And uh, doing a fe- having the opportunity to do a feature on Quinn Hughes was was a good opportunity. And yeah, that was the one I pitched. And does that kind of line up? You were saying you started writing in the first place in December. When that article comes out, like, what's the timeline on like that as far as how deep you are into wanting to be a writer and how much did reading something like something like that inspire you to, you know, go after this as a pursuit in the first place? Oh, man. Yeah. So it was it was funny. I, I basically like I, I summed it up in my uh, inaugural Canucks Army article today, just introducing myself. Uh, but uh I was a disgruntled university student studying the English language to become a high school teacher, and uh, I really did not like university, so I decided that I would try and take my talents writing elsewhere. Um, I had always like written like novels or whatever. I, I really enjoyed writing like my whole life, um, so it just made sense that I write about the Canucks, and I had always wanted to be like a play-by-play broadcaster when I was younger, um, but it was kind of just like a dream job, and I didn't really think there was an actual avenue that I could go to to accomplish that and my sights became okay I want to be a teacher it's steady I know I'll I know I'll get paid I know I'll have these months off you know what I mean and it was just it was easy to, easier to become a teacher I felt like so I made the leap of faith to become a writer. Well, David, let me, let me tell you, as someone who spent two years living in Chetwynd, B.C., a very small town of 3,000 people where it snows for eight months of the year, in my pursuit of being a play-by-play guy, I'll tell you right now, I think you probably made the right decision on that. Nothing against my memories or the people of Chetwynd or Dawson Creek. I have no regrets going there, but uh, it's not for everyone, I'll tell you that. Oh yeah, I've I've heard um yeah, I've heard stuff about Merritt, um, all these other places. Uh it's just yeah. I'm 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 not closing the door on play by play, but uh yeah, I'm I'm aware that I might have to head up to some pretty crappy places one day, but um They got character. Yeah. I wouldn't call them crappy, but it's you know <laughs> it, you're making you're making a big sacrifice leaving the life that you have and all your family and friends down in the city to pursue that dream. That's all I'm trying to say. Yes, for sure, for sure. I, I also don't like snow, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you, was that, did that article kind of line up with when you were starting to write, though? Because I have a feeling yeah. that that timeline does kind of sync up. I believe so, yeah. Um, it, was, it wasn't even just that article that made me want to write. I had, like, like Botch in general was the only writer that i read if i'm being honest and uh i i i would stay up late to read the provies and uh i like i wouldn't go to bed until the provies came out and um yeah that was just that was just something i did and it was he was really the only only media i really consumed when i was younger and i i wanted to be like jason botchford and it was that was that was just how it all started i guess but now it's it's kind of shifted because I've I've had some extensive talks again with with Kat. She was like, she was telling me she's like, yeah, you can't try to be anyone you're not. Like you gotta get your own style. And she's like, you have a good style. And she was she said some really nice things. I won't go too into detail on our conversation, but yeah, like the shift has definitely gone from trying to be the next Jason Botchford into more so just trying to make a name for myself. Be the first just, David Quadrelli. 
Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah, that's, that's what the focus has shifted to. But yeah, it's just to hear people like even, even like to hear Kat say that like my writing style and like my personality remind her of Jason is just super humbling to hear. Cause he's just, again, like he's just someone I looked up to like my whole life. I think there's a lot of people who can uh, empathize with that as well. Myself being one of them, you know, I'm, I'm, a little bit older than you, but uh, Jason, obviously somebody who has been, been hugely impactful on anyone who wants to get in and people who already were in the media game in this city. Before I ask you about uh, the night itself and some of the experiences over the course of the evening that you haven't touched on yet, what was it like just to receive that letter from Kat that you were going to be the first person chosen uh, for the Botchford Project? Oh, it was unbelievable, dude. I was at work at my day job. Um, and I just, like, I, I froze because um, I had got the email from Canucks PR that I was selected. So I was like, oh, wow, this is great. Like, I knew she selected me. Um, so I, I was I was really surprised. I also didn't know I was the first and only person that was chosen so far. So I just thought I was one of the ten. Um, but to find out that I was the first person she chose and that, she um she took the time to reach out to me that was just like like i said it just made me freeze like i i froze my froze where i was standing and just looked at my phone and was reading it over i was like wow that was that was actually just said about me and like she had never met me before and just picked all everything she said was just off of off of what she had read in my application and i was just like blown away by that Amazing. Well, you've said a couple of times as you were talking about the process of, of writing the story and, and watching the game from the press box, there's a story there. Uh, I'm going to ask you, stop holding out on me. What are the stories? Give me the give me the straight goods. Come on, let's go. I got you. Yeah, this is the story. I'll take you through the whole day, okay? Okay. So, we, uh, so I, I went down to the arena, um, went to morning skate, and uh, I was supposed to meet Ryan Beach at uh, gate nine. And uh, and he had to run up to his office to drop off some Utica Comets gear that Drance brought him. So Drance was waiting for me at gate nine, and then we waited for uh, Ryan to come back down. And then, yeah, I met Ryan there, and that was my first time meeting Drance. Like, um, once I was chosen, we talked on the phone, and he helped me brainstorm and get a quick storyboard going for my Hughes story. Um, but, yeah, that was my first time meeting him and Ryan, and we... Um, we walked, made the long, long walk to the media room. Um, excuse me. And then, um, yeah, we, we took in morning skate. Uh, again, that was with Jay Pat. Um, and then I got my quotes right after from Tanev and Bo in the, in the dressing room, both really nice guys. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was really good. Just taking morning skate and everything. I got to meet like everybody, everybody that was there. Everybody took the time to say hi to me, congratulate me. It was just, it was an incredible experience, but this is where the good story comes in. All right, uh, let's go, let's go. We went for lunch, and then we came back, and Drance and I went, and we worked in the cafe for, like, four hours. And then it was, they closed at, they closed at four, and Drance and I were planning to stay there till 5.30. So he was like, okay, we'll head back to the, head back to the rink. So we started walking back, and we realized I didn't have a media pass yet. They didn't give it to me yet, so he wasn't sure if I'd be able to get in. And it definitely took some convincing to get me into the building, but uh, <laughs> we did it, and we went up to press row. And again, we're this is four fifteen. Like they're doing all the pregame stuff, like all the videos you see. Um, oh yeah, I used to live next to the arena, so I know that they always do a test fire of the horn like three and a half oh hours before puck drop. Gosh, 
oh my gosh, that was, oh, that caught me so off guard. Like, there's no, like, okay, ladies and gentlemen, warning. We're going to blow the horn as loud as we can. No, nothing. So, so I, I walk up with Drance to the press row. And then uh, he's like, he's like, that's your seat over there. And I kind of just took it in and I looked down um, at the rink and I was just like, wow, like, this is like totally, like, it, it really was a dream come true, as cliche as it sounds. Um, I was just, I, it was like, it was another moment where you kind of freeze, right? And I, he's like, yeah, set up your stuff. So I set up my stuff in, in Botch's seat. And uh, I just, I just kind of looked because there's the plaque that says the Botchford Project on it. Um, and again, I was, I, it was, it was one of those moments where you just kind of freeze and you take it all in. And I was just, yeah, I was just blown away when I walked up there and uh, was sitting in the Jason Botchford seat and, just knowing everything that took place in that seat, like him writing, writing the, uh, the Pravis, writing the Athletes, just, I, that was where it all happened. And I was sitting in that seat. It was just, it was, it was very surreal. Being the last man left on press row, pretty much every single game that he attended. Yeah. There's a lot of history to that chair. I'm sure. Now I know J Pat told you not to write as a fan any longer, but, uh, had you ever been in like a scrum or in, in the locker room before, uh, like as, as you know, any other writing opportunity, or was that your first time, uh, talking face to face with, with an actual, NHL player no so I was actually at media day uh back in September at the intro media day I was there for that um but again not as much support from everybody everybody else uh in the room everybody was there to do their own work yeah never mind then because I was gonna say like even though you know you you try to be a professional and you try not to uh you know uh wear your your fandom on your sleeve any longer as you get into this business there is still uh, I think a unique thrill of, of like the first time that you get to walk into that dressing room and, and talk to the guys in person. It's uh, it's, it's really something. And I was going to ask you if you, if you, you know, had to, had to hold back anything uh, during those moments. Oh, for sure. Well, if we're going back to September, Holy smokes, it was unbelievable. Like just seeing these guys in person, like I had never seen anybody as tall as Tyler Myers before in, <laughs> in real life. I had never seen anybody that tall. Now, I'm 5'9", so I was standing pretty close to him, and if I had to ask him a question, I would have thrown out my neck for sure, trying to look up at him and make eye contact, because he is just a giant. Like, he's, oh my gosh, I could not believe how tall he was. Like, he was ducking under doorways, and I was just like, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. Like, I, yeah, it, it really blew me away, even though I was never really a big Tyler Myers fan or anything, but... Uh, just to see these these players up up close and personal was just pretty surreal. And then when I asked my first question, um, I I actually stuck with Harmon quite a bit that day because I was just like, hey man, like you know me, I know you. We're both nineteen. I know this is your first time here. Let's stick together. So that was that was kind of the game plan. And then as it went on, I met like Drance and everybody else. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it was funny because my first question was to J T Miller and. Uh, I was told you don't sit at there's a bunch of seats in front of the like press conference place and you don't sit that's for the that's for the big dogs that's where everybody else sits and you have to let everybody else get in their questions there's a bunch of unwritten rules that I was of course doing my best to follow so I wasn't sitting but I was standing um so I was asking JT Miller a question and my legs were shaking like uncontrollably like I could not from the moment I asked him that question to 
the end, I couldn't stand still. I was like rocking back and forth to make it less apparent that my that my legs were just shaking uncontrollably because they were, and I couldn't stop shaking. So I asked him and Troy Stetcher questions on the media day, and then yeah, it was just it was it was very very crazy to do that. I uh, I fully relate to that. I got to attend the first day of media availability uh, in training camp for the 2011-2012 season when I was an intern with CBC Sports at the time, and I had to hold the mic because they're just you know I I was told straight up like by CBC when they were sending me there. Never mind anyone in the you know room. You're not there to ask questions. Do not like try to squeeze your stuff in. You're just there to get tape and hold that mic in the scrum but we were kind of far back in the scrum i had a microphone taped to a hockey stick that i'm holding (laughs) up and so it was like i had to do you know like the the photo that they do for like uh the poses that guys have after they've gotten drafted like there's the famous one of like michael grabner maybe like the stick points i know wyatt is like all about the stick stick. golden Golden stats. Yeah, the stick point uh, draft photo. I basically had to do that in a scrum for like five to ten minutes at a time. And I distinctly remember, like, you know, being right in front of Henrik Sedin. And I could tell when you when you watch the footage afterwards which microphone in the mix is mine. Because it's the one where, you know, you try to hold a stick up. Your arm is going to get tired after, you know, five, seven minutes of that. So, yeah, absolutely wobbling all over the place that's hilarious i I fully incredible i fully relate to that man i love hearing that oh my gosh and i just had to hold up my body weight i can't believe i could not imagine holding up a stick (laughs) through all that with a mic tape to the end like holy shit that's incredible that's that's such a good story holy yeah, uh, obviously uh, people can find your article uh, as part of the Botchford Project on Canucks.com, but they're probably going to be seeing more of your stuff uh, over the next you know weeks and months and years ahead as well, because uh, congratulations, David, you announced it a couple days ago. You're joining Canucks Army. You uh, have your first post on the page already. Uh, you know, when you talk about uh, uh, institutions in this city, you know, Jason Botchford certainly was one for a very long time but uh canucks army has been one as well what does it mean to you to uh, be able to write for that site super humbling like to to have well like to have jackson message me and just say hey like we want you it was just kind of like i was like oh wow it's kind of like i'm a free agent and i'm, I'm cashing in on my payday so it was um it, it was it was pretty surreal to have to have an actual publication with as much respect as canucks army reach out to me and say that they wanted me to write for them it was um yeah, it was just super humbling, and then you just remember all the great names who have written for them before, like Thomas Drantz, Ryan Beach, the guys I went to lunch with. We were talking about Canucks Army, and they were stoked that I was going there. Um, and yeah, it was it's just unbelievable to be writing there. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the roster for uh, the Athletic here in Vancouver, other than Rick Dollywall, it seems like everybody on that site has you know, been a, a part or you know, in some places a key part of managing editor of uh, Canucks Army at some point. Uh, I know the site is kind of in a rebuilding process, not necessarily unlike the Canucks, but uh, you know, uh, good luck to you there. Botch wrote about how Elias Pettersson changed everything. You wrote about how Quinn Hughes has changed everything. Uh, perhaps you can change everything in, uh, in Canucks Army's rebuilding process as well. So uh, all the best to you, man. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you. And thanks for doing this. Really appreciate you taking the time.
All right, thanks a lot. That's our show for today. You can find David Quadrelli on Twitter at Quadrelli. That's Q-U-A-D-R-E-L-L-I. You can find his article that he wrote uh, on Saturday as part of the Botchford Project on Canucks.com. It is called Hughes Having Huge Impact Early On, and you can find his writing going forward on Canucks Army as well. I want to thank him once again for taking the time. I really enjoyed that conversation. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. And if you want to uh, help me out, you can rate and review the program uh, wherever you happen to get the podcast, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, any other number of places that have podcasts. Rate and review us. It gives us a little bump in the algorithm and helps people find the show. I would really appreciate it if you would do that for me. I will be back tomorrow morning to break down uh, tonight's game against the Dallas Stars. Hopefully the Canucks fare better than they did on Thursday night, but Hey, I guess we'll find out together. Until then, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you're locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.